0: I'm here today like like the other speakers to talk about how I've engaged as an historian in, in public policy. I'm gonna focus in particular on how I've provided evidence to parliamentary select committees and some of the issues that arise from, from doing this. First I'm gonna talk about some underlying questions that I ask myself and I suggest might be worth asking before we engage. Should we do it? Clearly I think we should and it's also the premise of history and policy that we should engage but nevertheless I think when we engage we should be aware of the concerns of some who are less keen on the idea of historians engaging some of the things we've already heard about most importantly that history shouldn't be distorted by the need to serve particular objectives in the case of select committees that will often be political objectives so that's something we should bear in mind but at the same time we have to accept that when we are engaging, we may well be obliged to fit in to some extent with someone else's process, someone else's format, and, you know, we're engaging, so that's part of what, be it a TV format, as we've heard about, or a uh, or radio format, or select committee format. We want the benefits of, of what they're offering, so we have to fit in to some extent. and But all, all at the same time, doing our best not to compromise what we're doing. Why engage? is the next question. First first and foremost, the the potential social benefits. If we have knowledge that might be of use to wider society, in my instance, public policy deliberation, Mm. we've got a duty to share it. We also have, I think, a wider responsibility to promote understanding of history and its value to a wider public. But there's another reason for engaging, our own benefit. Uh, we can disseminate our research to an audience that might not otherwise be aware of it. We can have a personal impact. We, I'll get on to that, but it's, it's nice to think you can have a personal impact. We're all, we're all human. And we can extend our own profile and our range of contacts, which can in turn lead to further such opportunities for engagement. And I don't think we should be coy about this because when we are engaging through the media or official inquiries or whatever, we are helping those outlets. They need us to to fill up their their format or whatever. And it's only fair that we should get something out of it personally, above and beyond the the social benefits we've already talked about. Particularly as uh, we're unlikely to get paid very much money for our efforts. Uh, A third question is uh, how best to engage. One approach is to make I mean, I'm talking in polar extremes here, it's not as straightforward as this, but one approach is to make generalised interventions of our own, which are more in, in the realm of creating our own spaces. If we talk in terms of power theory, you have created spaces, and that could involve things like writing articles, producing our own policy papers, organising our own conferences, that kind of thing. Another, another approach is to uh, enter into pre-existing spaces, which is where this formats issue comes in. And, and the, the way I've done that, it, you may do that by taking part in a TV show, as I've said, or, or, or some kind of media outlet, or or in the case of what I'm talking about, a particular official policy consultation. So these are actually somebody else's process, a existing space, not one we're creating ourselves, one we're actually choosing to enter into. And as I've said, it means fitting in with a predetermined format, but the advantages are you're plugged into an existing network, you're part of a in the case of parliamentary select committees a systematic process which is hopefully leading somewhere and I- in turn has inbuilt links to the policy community and is almost by definition topical because if, a, if parliament's looking at something in a way that makes it that means it must be topical because parliament's looking at it so fitting into this second category as i suggested is the practice of responding to calls for evidence by parliamentary select committees. something i do frequently and and that's what I'm talking about today. This is a democratic process in that anyone can do it. You don't have to wait to be phoned up by a personal contact, you can do it. All the calls for evidence will appear on the relevant part of the parliamentary website. You can get added to electronic mailing lists of of committees covering areas in which you're interested so they can update you on what inquiries they're holding so when when a specific thing comes up that that might be relevant to you, you, you'll be made aware of it. And uh, often committees are grateful to receive evidence, evidence from outside sources is something they need to validate what they're doing, whether or not they actually take any notice of it, they need to actually show that they've taken this evidence. And uh, often, uh, not always, sometimes they get lots of evidence, but often they actually struggle to get enough contributions to make it look like they've got enough. So they need you, don't forget this. And, and particularly because your, all your submissions are going to be worthwhile, re- reasoned, evidence-based contributions. They need you even more. So you know, bear, bear all that in mind. Uh, you might also get asked to give oral evidence as a follow-up, as, as well as on top of your written evidence. And if you may also get asked to give oral evidence when you haven't even uh, offered the written evidence, if, if you're someone they've identified in the field that they want to talk to. It all gets published in separate volumes. Increasingly, it's online only, but all the evidence you submit will get published. And it, this evidence does get looked at more widely than you might think. You never know who's actually going to follow up on something you've written in a, uh, in, in, in a submission to select committee. And you also quite likely to get cited in any reports the committee produces as a result of its inquiries. So all of this, as I've said, beyond the social benefits, can be good for you personally. You might get media work out of it, or be asked to write blogs, articles, d- attend events, that kind of thing, and it can help, help to establish you as, as, a f- as a presence in your particular field in, in these environments. I would add to that, be careful what you wish for, however. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, beyond uh, direct publicity for you and your work, Another question is, how might you impact upon actual policy development? Pat's already touched on this, you've got to be very careful about this, because after all, what what we're all all in the business of doing is showing how complex causality is. So to try and demonstrate whether whether or not you've actually influenced, A, what a select committee actually said, and B, what the consequence of what it said was for public policy is very, very difficult, but we can make certain general uh, suppositions, and I'll I'll get on to that in a minute. I mean, and the kind of uh, complexities involved are the internal dynamics of committees, which are all party groups that generally try to work by consensus, so we don't always know what's going on in there, and those are the closed meetings when they actually do the business of agreeing uh, what they're going to say in their reports. It also involves the input of committee staff, which is difficult sometimes to discern. They're there formally only to support the committee, but of course their importance goes beyond that and they, they help to frame the way in which committees go about their work. That's not a conspiracy theory, that's just you know, an, an unavoidable reality. Uh, also, you give evidence, other people give evidence. If your evidence is the same as their evidence, obviously you don't know which evidence caused it. And also there's the fact that committees may have already made up their minds about certain things, and they, they may choose that evidence which already supports what they wanted to say anyway. But we know about all these complexities, but we, we, sh- we should apply them to assessing what we're doing ourselves just as much as we do to uh, assessing history. Uh, the two To so move on to the particular uh, reports I had circulated, I won't take too long in these, but I, I had them circulated in advance to illustrate some different aspects of the opportunities and limitations that historians seeking to engage with wider society through a parliamentary committee might encounter the first one which is on special advisers in the thick of it, I was asked to give evidence because I've written what is the only history of special advisers they were looking at these these ministerial appointments and their role in government I made a particular recommendation about the way in which uh, special advisers were appointed suggesting that they might be uh, uh, Scrutinised by parliamentary committees in advance of taking up their appointment, I wasn't entirely confident that this this recommendation should be uh, should be adopted. But because the committee had asked about my views on the, in this specific area, I put it forward cautiously as something that needed looking at. The committee then disagreed with my recommendation. But uh, used some of what I'd said and took on board some of it and put it into their recommendation, which was a more diluted version of it. But funny enough, in the process, uh, I think they they produced something I was more comfortable with than the thing I'd been induced into recommending in the first place. So this illustrates some of the complexities of this. But, you know, it's not all bad because I was able to put in my evidence uh, it, it, my evidence, which gets printed, the full evidence submission gets printed, we've got to be cautious about this. They didn't note any of that in their report, but that, do, that doesn't bother me too much, because at least it's there in, in the small print, that's fine. And then in the end, they got to a recommendation I thought was actually pretty good that I might not have thought of myself. So, so it all, all worked out for the best in the end, except that of course, select committees then report, and the government has to respond, and in, in its response, the government didn't agree with any of it, so it all got nowhere. But you know, this, these, these are the kind of issues we're involved with, and you know, we, we understand all of this. We also understand that just because the government refuses to do something once, the first time a parliamentary committee recommends it, that's not the end of the story. We know this from history, that you know, the, once the issue's on the agenda it can come back. If it's it's a worthwhile idea, it can come back and people can keep pushing at it. And in the end, you might get somewhere. So the first refusal is certainly not not a a point at which to give up. The second uh, proposal was uh, the report on uh, civil service reform by the same committee, the House of Commons Public Administration Committee. The report came out in September last year. I, amongst another other people, had recommended that Parliament should have a role in overseeing the uh, civil service to a greater extent than it's got now. They, all of those various recommendations that different people made were all slightly different from each other. The committee pulled them all together, quoted from them selectively. And again, I don't mean this in—I don't mean this as a criticism of the committee because they can't possibly, in a in a fairly brief report, just as a TV show can't possibly give give. Uh, Due, uh, due attention to every nuance of every single argument. You can't expect that. And if you want that, don't engage in the first place. And I think they were reasonable in the way they use my evidence in support of something that clearly they probably wanted to do anyway. But they were able to use my evidence along, alongside other evidence to build up a case for what they wanted. And they made w- quite an important recommendation uh, suggesting a joint parliamentary commission on the civil service. Again. The Government refused it, said it won't, wouldn't do it. i don 't think again that issue will go away, and there's been continued debate in Parliament on it. but we'll get on to the finally the way in which government sometimes responds to these things, which is way, way beyond our control and shows the limitations on the kind of influence we can have and really the government response to the uh, to the to the report this second report, which this response appeared in January this year was 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 a good example of how poor quality these government responses can be. They just repeated a load of slogans over and over again, didn't really engage with the point. So again, at the end of all your work and all the committee's work, be ready that it might go nowhere. So although it's very difficult to say when you have had influence, it's a lot easier to say when you haven't had influence. And I think in this instance, for the time being, the kind of influence uh, a historian can have is always going to be at least one stage removed, and it's going to be limited. In the long term, you may may see progress on your goals, as we know that can happen, but it's always going to be limited and indirect. But I, I suspect that's probably the way it should be. Thank you.